0: Welcome to My Bonus Money. Have you ever dreamed of being financially independent? Does that seem impossible because you're an educator? I'm here to tell you it is not impossible. Not only that, rather than tell you how I did it, I'm going to share with you how I am doing it. I'm going to share actual numbers, strategies, experiments, and more to help you on your path. We'll have different kinds of episodes on this podcast. Some will be solo Jethro episodes. Others, like today, will be interviews. Others will be answering your questions. Sometimes I'll get a good question. I'll record a coaching call with someone who needs a little extra help. I'm excited for you to join me in this experience. Let's dive in. Today, this is episode eight of My Bonus Money, and we are talking about month eight. I think I forgot to add month seven to last uh, episode with... Um, Jennifer Sullivan. So I am going to add that in right now. So here's, so month seven, um, I did, uh, a, I got a 17.58% return. And in December I got a 9.68 return. And in month eight, I got a 9.68% return on my invested money. Now reminder here, Uh, If this is your first time, go to mybonusmoney.com and you'll learn some of the strategies that I am doing. Also, if you go there for this episode in the show notes, I will have a graph that shows how my um, money is broken up and you can see what I'm making and um, what percentage it is. And if you subscribe, then you can get the details and I'll show the exact trades that I've been making over the last little bit and I think I might adjust that some and share my trades more in real time cuz I think that would be more valuable. So if that's interesting uh let me know. Um those are just for paid subscribers. Yes, I'm trying to make some passive income. I'm sharing that with you. That's bonus money and I want to uh I hope it gives you value and I hope that it's worthwhile. I mean, I think it is and um that way you can see uh, closer in real time, the trades that I'm making Not investment in my inv- investment advice, to be clear, I'm just sharing what I'm doing. Cause I want you to have an idea of how it is possible for yourself. Um, so one thing that I'm adding new this time also is I'm including a chart that shows where, uh, all of my money is coming from. So, uh, the vast majority of it right now, 75% is coming from options trading in the stock market. As you know, these last few months, the stock market has just been going down and uh, my overall value has gone down, but not as much as if I would have just been normally invested, like my 401k, brutal. Uh, My own uh, investment account is doing much better. So Overall value is down, but I am most weeks making money. In fact, up until uh, month, so this is month eight up until month eight, I've made money every single month. And in month nine, uh, that's where I'm, I'm a little bit behind. I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to make some bad decisions. Yeah. I'm going to lose some money. So that's a bummer, but uh, you can see that 75% comes from options. And, uh, let's see, what is it about 16% comes from coaching, which, uh, as George and I talk about in this interview I'm doing today, uh, coaching is one of those things I don't spend a lot of time on each week I only have a couple clients. And so that is essentially passive income because I'm spending less than five hours per week on it. And then royalties are, uh, from my book, make up 7% of it. And so that is something else that is there. Now, I also have um, a couple other things going. I do get dividends in some stocks that I'm invested in. So those are in there, but they're very small. And then the the other one that is big enough to show up on the graph that you can see at mybonusmoney.com is subscriptions. And that is also a very small percent, less than 1%, but I'm hoping that that goes up. And that's from people subscribing to the newsletter at mybonusmoney.com. So do go check that out. And if you want to subscribe as well, then uh, next month, that subscriptions piece will go up a little bit, and I would greatly appreciate that. Um, Also, you'll get some good information. You'll get more specifics on everything that I'm doing here. So um, so that is uh, what month eight looks like. I feel like this month was pretty good. There were some struggles uh, in this month and I didn't make as much as I did last month, um, but you know, it's not too bad. Um, so the other thing that I want to talk about real quick is uh, one of the other things in in this is a uh, subscription software. And that is something that I just started this last month. And I'd like you to uh, check that out. You can go to writebetter.com. Write as in writing a letter. Better. B-E-T-T-R. I'm dropping the E like it's an internet company. That's how you do it. And what you can do is you can send a poorly worded email to an email address that's on that page. And then if you uh, send the poorly worded email, you'll get a better email back. This is really quite simple, but it's kind of cool. And it actually works. And in fact, one of my Favorite examples is uh, a principal that um, I work with has been using it, and he forwarded in an email that one of the students wrote that was just uh, totally inappropriate. And she was not, uh, the student was not speaking appropriately to the principal. And uh, he used this to help teach her how to write a better email, especially when she's upset about something. And I just thought that was so cool. What a great learning opportunity! For that young student, and um, so anyway, if you would like to check that out, that's at Write Better, W R I T E B E T T R dot So let's get into this interview with my brother George. We're gonna go in depth about what we're doing with uh, with options. What I share uh, when you when you join the newsletter, then you can get a a, a free course on how to uh, make money with options and so um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that he's gonna explain it here the course is much shorter and clearer um, but one thing that George says in here that I think is really powerful he says invest in the decision not the outcome and as we're talking about this bonus money stuff and what this looks like you want to invest in the decision not in the outcome and so the idea the thing that you're doing is important and you putting the right energy and focus on that really does make a difference and we're talking about this in the context of we we don't want to think that just because we make a decision that the outcome is going to be perfect every time or that we're never going to make a mistake so make the decision early on and then later when tough times come, you've already made the decision. And um when when I was younger, there was this some somebody gave a speech or a talk or something in some church setting and they were talking about when to make the decision about whether or not you were gonna like have sex before marriage or do drugs or drink or any of those things. And they said you make the decision early on. So that when that situation arises in the moment, it's really a lot more difficult to, to know what the right thing to do is. You got people around you or just one person. And what do you do? Well, the idea was that the place to make that decision is not in the moment. The place to make that decision is way beforehand. And so that's on a, on a pretty grand scale applicable to everything that we do in our life. If you make decisions before the pressure mounts, before it's go time, then you know what you're going to do. Let's let's talk about this for exercise, for example. If, when I was training for uh, half marathons, I decided that I was gonna run a certain amount every single day. And so I decided I'm gonna run this amount this day, no matter what. So if it was snowy, if it was rainy, if it was cold, if it was hot, if I was tired, if I was sick, I still did the th- exercise because that's what I was trying to do. I had decided I had invested in the decision, not in the outcome. And so as I made those little steps all along the way, it made things a lot better for me and I was able to achieve my goals. So George and I are going to talk about a lot of stuff. We're going to go through a whole bunch of different things. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think. And look forward to seeing you at mybonusmoney.com. Here's my interview with my dear brother, George. You just tell me when you're ready and I'll push, or you can push the button. That might make it okay. easier for you.
1: <laughs> I just have to close my eyes. Hey, this is the Jekyll Jones Bonus Money Podcast coming to you from Salt Lake City.
0: My favorite part is the hey.
1: <laughs> I know, that's what makes it corny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, the podcast is actually called My Bonus Money.
1: Oh, dang it. Did so I say My Bonus Money the first time?
0: No, you said oh. Jethro's Bonus Money.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we could do it again with the correct podcast name. I mean, if that would have been good much, information to know. If that's not too much to ask,
0: that'd be great.
1: One more time. I promise we won't do this for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> this is the last shot and then you could do your own. <laughs> okay. Hey, this is the My grown Snowy podcast coming to you from Salt Lake City.
0: Yeah, that one was they pretty work.
1: good. All right.
0: Okay. That that might be the one that we use all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Every podcast everywhere. Yes. Starting a new voiceover I career. I feel like you were channeling Casey Kasem just now. Oh, maybe a little bit. Mm-hmm. That sounded like a compliment. Yeah. It be was. careful.
0: Thank you, Amy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay.
0: George, welcome yes, sir. to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, uh, this podcast is all about making passive income, however, anyone might make it. So, I think what would be beneficial to start is to talk about what you've been doing with making passive income for the last several months, what your returns have been like, and how that's going for you, basically.
1: So before we do that, how much have you talked about like what passive income is to people? Well, that's something that I define
0: throughout the podcast. So I'll tell you the definition that I use, which is passive income is anything that takes less than five hours per week for you to do. I say that because there's, you always have to do something to make money. Right. And so you can't just say like, you just put it there and then it just happens. So you gotta do something. And sometimes that takes one decision at one point in your life and that can have a ripple effect. Other times you need to do things regularly. So for example, an example of passive income with my podcasts is advertising that I get on the podcast. But an example of non-passive income that's active income is
1: getting consulting gigs, right? Or like having a blog. Having a blog. Yeah. People right. say, oh, my blog is passive income, and they spend 40 hours a week on their blog, and that's yeah. not passive income. Right. That's very active. So the advertising is passive
0: because I'm putting it on the episodes that have already been released. Or I'm recording the ad read, and then that's all I do for the time that I have that sponsor that definition of passive income is what we're using to define on here. So if you make courses and sell them, you're you're probably doing some sort of maintenance on that. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing active coaching as part of those courses, that's not passive right. income.
1: Got it. And some people define passive income as income that can be generated while you're sleeping, for example. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine with that definition. I don't necessarily agree with that because i'm in the same court you are in that you know if it takes some time then that's okay but Mm -hmm. if it's you know five hours a week i might even for my own definition i might say that's a little high i i agree that that definition
0: five hours a week is a little high for me also and so my thought is really that it's that you're spending less than that but that that's like the upper limit Mm -hmm. like once you get to five hours you really need to question whether or not that's actually passive or right. if that is actually active income.
1: Yeah, and what I've been doing the last few months, you know, I'm I say probably at the beginning I was definitely spending 5 hours a week on it, but there was also a lot of learning involved in mm-hmm. that too. So I would definitely say not even anywhere close to 5 hours a week right now. I mean, it's it's 10 minutes of actually income generating activities. Mm -hmm. And the other time that I spend on it is just basically curiosity, just like Mm -hmm. I'm just checking to see what's going on. What that activity is doing has no bearing whatsoever
0: on the income. Right. That's important also because you can also spend a lot of time doing stuff related to it that doesn't have anything to do with what money you make. Mm -hmm. And, And this is important also because if you're Like if you're doing real estate, for example, and you're researching deals, those researching deals probably do have something to do with the income you're going to eventually make. Right. right? But if you are driving by your rentals just to check on them, that probably is an activity that doesn't really contribute to the bottom line, unless you see something that is like horribly wrong. But if you're managing things well, then that's either part of your routine or, that's something that you're just wasting time doing.
1: Right. And I mean, I would consider, because definitely the extra time that I spend is time that I could not spend and not miss it. Right. And so it's not required by any stretch Mm -hmm. of the imagination. And there have been times where I do set up the option transactions and literally don't look at them for three days. Mm -hmm. The times that I would say I am spending on it is the, the active part, or the active involvement, I would say maybe ten minutes a week, mm-hmm. and I would add also with that that doing
0: the research for those specific trades that you that would be considered part of that time also, right? And so some weeks it's very little, yeah. other weeks when you're choosing a new stock, for example, right, you it's need to spend a here. little more time. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've kind of talked about it a little bit, and people who have listened to the show know that options trading is one of the things that we do. So why don't you just define it for our listeners in the way that you define it? Cause I think I define it differently than you, which is also interesting.
1: Okay. I, like all of options trading are just the part that I'm just doing? the part that we're talking
0: about okay. you're doing.
1: So the way that I define this is basically I'm renting out my stock. Mm-hmm. So I purchase stock and then I sell options on that stock and the ideal scenario is I sell an option on the stock and that option is sold and I collect the premium and I retain the stock. That's my ideal mm-hmm. scenario. And <clears throat> there are times where I will sell the option and then have to sell the stock also. And that's fine too. But most of the time, what I want is to hang on to the stock. The reason that I want to hang on to the stock is. Because the stock values increase over time, no matter, well, with rare exception. I'm going to say no matter what. But with rare exception, stock values increase over time. So if you hang on to the stock, then you get the benefit of the growth in that stock, in addition to the premiums that you're collecting for the options.
0: Okay, so, so briefly describe what premiums are and what um, what what growth you're talking
1: about. Okay, so... With the, with the options, there's a lot of different ways that you can buy and sell options. I strictly stick to selling the options. I don't buy options. And the main difference between that, if you're not familiar with, is buying options, you're basically uh, buying an opportunity to buy the stock. Mm-hmm. And so you're paying what they call a premium. So you're basically giving somebody who owns the stock money for the option to buy that stock later on if it meets certain criteria. And so the, the problem I have with buying stocks is you're basically gambling because there are a lot of things that can happen to that stock and you are, you're placing a bet. You're mm-hmm. placing a bet that the stock is going to behave in a certain way and if it behaves that way, then it turns out well for you. If it behaves any other way, then you basically lose the money.
0: So here's a part where I, my definition differs a little bit on on what we're doing with options. You're saying that you're renting out your stocks. Mm-hmm. What I say is that I am selling people the opportunity to buy my stocks at a certain price. And the reason why I don't call it renting is because I really am selling an opportunity and when if that opportunity fits their criteria and they do buy it then then that transaction's done and they take my stock whereas with renting then it seems like you hold on to the stock regardless and so for me personally to make it make more sense i say i'm selling an opportunity to buy this at a certain price at a certain time
1: and i would say that your definition is more correct than my definition and <laughs> everybody my older brother just said that i said something correct and
0: i'm it's recorded it's it here forever it is
1: recorded Callie, edit that part <laughs> up. don't edit it leave it in so and i'll tell you i'll tell you why i i agree with your definition absolutely because that is it is correct but the the reason that i like to think of it as renting a stock is it helps my mindset of saying you need to hang on to this mm-hmm and I find that when I when I tell myself you know the the strict correct definition, I tend to be a little more um, risky with my transactions. And not that it's not that it's necessarily higher risk, but my goal is to hang on to the stock mm-hmm. you know for a long time. And I'm not upset if the if I end up having to sell the stock, but that's not my goal. My goal is to hang on to it so that I can benefit from the premiums I'm collecting as well as the the growth in the the stock mm-hmm. itself, the underlying growth. So that so that would be my explanation of mm-hmm. of why I use that definition is it just kind of helps my mindset. Yeah. And mindset is
0: so important in this. Is so it, it is. We're going to come back to that later after you finish explaining how you're doing in and what you're doing um but we need to definitely talk about the mindset because it matters a lot yeah.
1: so when so the transactions that i'm doing is like i mentioned i sell the options and so when you're selling the options the other way i look to look like to look at it i mentioned that when you are buying the options you're placing a bed and so when you are selling the options you're acting like the house in a casino as opposed to someone coming in and, and play placing a bet and i liken it to A roulette wheel with you know fewer slots on the wheel (laughs) Um, because you basically the stock is going to do one thing at the end of the day one thing is going to happen to that stock it's going to go up a lot it's going to go up a little it's going to stay the same it's going to go down a little or it's going to go down a lot one of those things has to happen it Mm -hmm. can't two of them can't happen so that's why i think of it as roulette and so when you are buying the option you're basically throwing that marble and spinning on that roulette wheel And, you know, you placed your bet on, you know, black 32 or whatever it is. And if it lands on anything else, you lose your bet. And I view what we're, what I'm doing is with selling options as I'm playing the house, all of those things can still happen. But what I'm doing is I'm saying, all right, you place a bet on one of those things. And if anything else happens, I keep the money Mm -hmm. and you don't. So
0: somebody else places a bet that the stock is going to go up a lot. <clears throat> and your bet uh, or your position as the house is that if that person loses then you still win. Correct. I and I think that analogy is so key because the house n- almost never loses. Right. But it does sometimes. It does
1: sometimes. And yeah. when
0: it does then, you know, some people can benefit greatly. Yep. But for the most part over and over over the long term, the house is going to keep
1: winning. Right. So so there's two kinds of options that that you can bet on. There's call options and put options. And from my position, and you know, this is definitely not going to make anybody an expert on options, but from my position, those are the only two that that matter. And when you are selling calls, you own the stock, mm-hmm. and when you're selling puts, you own the cash, and that's really the only difference. So. When I own the stock and I sell a call, then that basically means that I'm selling the opportunity for someone else to buy my stock if it meets those conditions. Mm -hmm. When I sell a put, I'm giving someone else the opportunity to sell me their stock if it meets those particular conditions. So, you definitely, I definitely prefer selling the calls because, like I said, I own the stock and any underlying growth that happens with the stock, I'll be able to benefit from that. When you are selling puts, you just have cash and you're trying to buy the stock from someone else. So if there's underlying growth, you don't benefit mm-hmm. from that. You still benefit from the premiums that you're collecting, mm-hmm. but you're not benefiting from the underlying growth. And the
0: premium is what someone is paying for that opportunity. Correct. Right? And so you set a you sell a call or a put at a certain date in the future and at a certain price of the stock.
1: Right. And so the analogy I love to give is the house analogy, because that's very familiar to a lot of people. If you've never worked in the stock market, then all of this is you know, senseless to you. But right. everybody has lived in a house or an apartment, but maybe not a house. So when you when you buy an option on a house, you're basically paying somebody for the opportunity to buy their house at a future date at a set price. And that's the same thing that you're doing with stock options. You're paying somebody for the opportunity to buy the stock at a future date at a set price. So in the house example, let's just say that you pay thousand dollars for an option to buy a house for a hundred thousand dollars exactly six months from today. So in six months, if the value of that house has gone up, that's great for you because you paid thousand dollars to lock in that price. If the value of the house goes down, it's not great for you because you paid $1,000, but now the house isn't worth as much. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason they're called options is because as the buyer of the option, you have the option to buy the house or not. So the only question is, is does it make sense? Mm-hmm. Now, if the house value has gone up above 100000 then it makes sense. You want to buy the house at that, that discount price, basically. Mm-hmm. But if the house value has gone down, let's just say it, it gets cut in half to $50,000 cause the market is poor, interest rates go up or whatever. So now it doesn't make sense for you to buy that house anymore. And since you bought the option, it's an option. It's not a, not an ironclad guarantee. So you just simply say, all right, I'm not going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how we benefit as the option sellers is we sell the option to buy the stock at a certain price. And if the stock goes above that price, it's gonna make financial sense for the person to buy that stock. If the stock price goes down or it doesn't reach that price, then it doesn't make sense for them to buy it because they can just buy the stock on the open market. Mm -hmm.
0: So with the house example, when you're selling the call, then you own the house. Correct. And you're giving somebody else the option to buy the house. When you're selling the put, you don't own the house yet, but you want to get it at a specific price. Correct. And the difference is is that it's not an option for you if you sell the option, right? Correct.
1: Yeah. When you're the seller of the option, you made your decision. Mm-hmm. Once you collect that premium, you made your you exercise your option basically. Mm-hmm. And your options were before you sold that premium. So yeah, the buyer always has the option to. Go through at the sale or not. Mm-hmm. The seller does not have the option. So,
0: in the same example, if the um, if the house gets value gets cut in half and it goes from one hundred thousand to fifty thousand, and you sold the option to buy it for one hundred thousand, then the buyer is most likely not going to buy it from you. They still could at that higher price, but they're most likely not going to buy the house from you.
1: Right, right, if it's a higher price. But in the example that you're giving, you, you have the you have a hundred thousand dollars cash, and you're basically telling the house buyer, you know what? If you pay me a thousand dollars, I'll buy your house at this later date. And when you once you collect that premium, if the house price goes up, then it doesn't make sense for them to sell it to you mm-hmm. because they're not going to benefit from that. Yeah. But if the house price goes down, you already agreed you would buy it for 100000 If it goes down to 50000 they definitely want to sell it to you. Mm-hmm. Because now they're going to get $100,000 for a stock or for a house that's worth 50000
0: Yeah. So this is where the risk comes in. Right. That you can, if you're selling a put in this example, then you, did I say that right? Yeah. Okay. Selling a put. If you're selling a put in this example, then you have... The money, and you're willing to pay a hundred thousand for that house, yep. regardless of what the market does, because you think that that house is worth a hundred thousand. Yeah, and
1: that's where the the mindset comes into it. You have to be when you're when you're participating in these transactions, you have to be comfortable with the option prices and the stock prices that you're selling at. Because if you say, "All right, I'm making a promise to buy this house at a hundred thousand dollars," and it goes down and you don't want to buy it anymore, you know, were you, that was obviously a bad deal. Mm -hmm. You have to be happy with what it's going to, what it's going to do. Which is why you say you want to hold the stock for long-term. Right. Because it's eventually going to go up. Right. So, and that's, and I think that's something that's really important. And a lot of times when people talk about options, you know, this is not the exciting play. This isn't the exciting options play. This is, Mm -hmm. This is something that is definitely deemed boring as far as experienced stock traders are concerned. Mm-hmm. You start talking to you know day traders or really seasoned stock professionals and you talk about selling covered calls or selling cash secured puts and they're like, that's boring. you know mm-hmm. you can make so much money, more money doing XYZ mm-hmm. And the potential is there, yes. but it's just like if you go to a, a gambler, and you say, hey, I want to open a casino, they're going to look at you and say, well, why would you open a casino? You can just go put $100 on 32 Black and make $10,000. Mm-hmm. Why would you want to deal with all of that yeah. extra stuff?
0: <laughs> yeah, and this really gets to the the whole point of doing these passive income things because you have to decide how much time, energy, and effort you want to spend on it, how much you want to pay attention to it, how much you want to be involved in it, and how much you want to be able to say, I can do this in 10 minutes a week. Right. Will you talk about the returns that you've seen? Yeah. Um, Because this is an important part that is, you know, we've put a lot of faith in other institutions to take care of our money for us, and when we are in control of it, sometimes we can make better choices, sometimes we can make worse choices.
1: That is also true. Yep. And so
0: <laughs> so you've been making lots of really good choices over the last 6 or so months.
1: Yeah. So what I've been doing is I've been focusing on a couple a couple key stocks and I don't I don't want to say which ones they are because they're going to be different for everybody. These are stocks that I really believe in. And at the end of the day, if I end up owning these stocks for a long time, I'm going to be happy with that. And that goes back to the mindset again, I need to be happy with this strategy. Otherwise it's just going to cause me stress mm-hmm. and make me lose sleep and, and all that. So I don't want to do that. So I've just been focusing on uh, a couple key stocks and my philosophy also might be a little bit different because I, you know, people talk about diversification and everything like that. And then if you look at my portfolio, it's not very diverse. Mm-hmm. And some people would say, oh, that's super risky or that's not a good idea and whatever. And, you know, for you, maybe it's not. For me, I'm totally fine with it. And this, again, is an
0: important thing to note because if you are okay with it, then it doesn't matter what anybody else says. And right. if you really believe in those stocks and believe that those companies because that's really what you're believing in you're not believing in the stock itself you're believing that the company is a long-term positive viable solution. Right. And you know, looking back in hindsight if you would have put your whole retirement or whatever big chunk of change you had in in the early 2000s in Google and Amazon and that was all you put it in then you would have had a ride, but you'd have a lot of money right now
1: because those stocks have gone up so much. And And I believe in Google and Amazon. And, you know, had I been doing this 20 years ago, I would have ridden through the dot-com bubble absolutely with those stocks. Mm -hmm. I just got into this a little while ago. So right now those stocks are kind of priced out
0: Mm -hmm. for me.
1: Down the line, they won't be, but right now they are. Yeah. Yeah. So... I've just, I've chosen a couple to focus on. And and the other reason that I've done that is because I want to spend 10 minutes a week on this. Right. I don't want to spend hours and hours. And when I started, I had probably, I probably had 25 to 30 different stocks Mm -hmm. I was doing. And it just got to be, it was, it was too much. Yeah. It's a lot to pay attention to. It is. And it just took too much time and, you know. When you say a 10 minutes a week, that sounds great, but you take 10 minutes a week times 25, then all of a sudden you're at six hours a week and we're already above the yep. threshold. The so, threshold that we just made up, by the way. Right. So don't so anybody get any crazy ideas. That <laughs> the there's... hard set threshold <laughs> that nobody can go past. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it before you reveal your returns, I do want to say, if you want to learn how to do this, I've made a video for you to watch and explore and see what it looks like using real examples of stocks that I don't own because I'm not providing financial advice. <laughs> I have to say that every episode for some reason. Okay. Um, But uh, mybonusmoney.com, go put your email address in there. You'll get the little tutorial on how to do it and with real examples so that you can actually see because it's a real thing and it actually works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is there's very little out there on the internet about this. You start looking up options and you get all sorts of different things. And the web pages and articles and things that you'll find, they'll just kind of mention it. Like, oh, yeah, you can do covered calls, but this is way more exciting. Mm -hmm. Or you can do cash-secured puts, but this is also way more exciting. And they'll say, oh, you can do those, but it requires so much capital that it's not worth it. You should do this other thing that requires less capital. And you know, I just dis- I disagree with that. I yeah. don't think that it does require as much capital. It may seem like it, but you know, it it also matters which stocks you're looking at. Exactly. I'm, I'm looking at stocks right now that are that are pretty cheap, mm-hmm. so they're easier to afford. It's easier to get into selling options on these stocks because they're in lower value right now. You know, if we're talking about Amazon and Google then yeah, it requires a lot more capital. Or Berkshire Hathaway. Or Berkshire Hathaway.
0: <laughs> so the the thing, the video that I recorded teaching people how to do this shares how you can do it starting with just 200 bucks. Yeah. And I chose that number intentionally because it's probably, because most of the audience I think is educators and it could be other people too, but that's who I'm really directing this at. Um, I think most educators could probably find 200 bucks and give yeah. it a shot and see how it works. And and get started, which I think is the important thing. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is today. Yep. <laughs> and so <laughs> that's right. You know, if you learn this new strategy and figure out how to do it, then you set yourself up for some future gains, like what you're going to
1: share now. Yeah. So I started. I I was experimenting. Well, I'll say I learned about this strategy in March, mm-hmm. and. I had an old retirement account that I transferred over and started playing with and experimenting with. And I was trying lots of different things um, in addition to you know selling covered calls and, and cash-secured puts. And so I, I'm not really counting March and April because they were just kind of experimentation. Um, that being said, I still made money in those months. But I really start tracking this in May because that's when I used – not just an old retirement account that I didn't really count as my money mm-hmm. anyway. You know, it's one that I just had sitting. So I didn't really count that. But I, I actually put some of my own hard money into this. And so in May, I got a return of 13% just in May. Okay, so
0: 13% of the money that you had invested came back to you as cash.
1: Correct. Okay. Over and above my investment. Okay. Okay. So,
0: if you had $100, you got $13 that month. Correct. If you had 1000, you got 130 and right. on and on. Okay. Right.
1: And this is not in all of these returns. I am not counting any growth in the underlying stock at all. Mm-hmm. So, I am only counting actual cash returns based on the premiums that I received. There were a couple months where the stock prices went up dramatically. And the reason I'm not counting the underlying stock value is because that isn't your money until you sell the stock. Right. And my strategy is I'm not selling the stock. I'm hanging on to the stock. So at some point in the future I'll sell the stock, but you know, for th- for this for the past six months, you know, I'm not counting those as mm-hmm. part of my returns. And you could
0: sell the stock as part of doing the strategy, right? Yes that you could make a decision that makes it so the stock gets called away. Right. Um, because you sold a covered call and you set the the uh, target price or the strike price at a place where the, the growth on the underlying stock exceeded that and then somebody said, I can get this cheaper from taking George's and so that's what I'm going to do.
1: Right. And that happened a few times and I was okay with that, but I still don't count any of those mm-hmm. in my returns. And the reason that I – I'm not is because, like I said, my goal is to hang on to the stock. I don't plan to make money by selling the stock and, and realizing that mm-hmm. underlying growth. I plan on making money as a passive income from the premiums mm-hmm. that I, I do on a weekly basis. I mean, right. I do them weekly. And we can talk about why I choose weekly as opposed to any other time. But yeah. So, yeah, in May, the first, first month was 13%. So that's good. People yeah. would like getting thirteen percent on their yeah. return. And that was just in one month. I see advertisements for investment, you know, opportunities where they say they'll give you thirteen percent in a year. Mm-hmm. And this was just one month. Yeah. And you know, you can do the calculation to realize what would happen in a year, getting those returns every month. Importantly,
0: with your own money that you could put into this. Right. 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 Okay. What about
1: June? So then June mm-hmm was 12.6%. So it was a little bit less in June. Okay. Still respectable. Yeah. Okay. July. And then in July, it went down to 6.2%. Okay. So.
0: Now, if I remember correctly, the stock market was not doing great during that time either.
1: Yeah. It actually hasn't been doing that great this whole (laughs) past six months. (laughs) So, and it's really been doing poorly in October. Mm -hmm. And October is not over. So I don't have October's numbers in, but I'll tell you what they are at this point when I get talked over. So July was 6%. Mm-hmm. And it's still respectable. I mean, if, yeah. you know, 6% each month for a year, that's a 72% return. And, you know, that's almost doubling your money in a year. Mm-hmm. And you anybody can take a look at their retirement accounts and see that that is not not even, happening. Close. <laughs> not, even yeah. not even close my my biggest retirement account I have has that I contribute to every month and my company matches has gone down in each of the last six months
0: yeah and you're putting more money into it and your company is putting bonus money into it also right
1: and it's still going down yeah yeah so um, but you know that's that's a toller podcast
0: <laughs> yes, that
1: is so then August, was phenomenal, and I got 36.7%. Holy cow. In August. That's incredible. Yeah. And then September kind of returned back to normal at 14%.
0: So. And and normal is 14%.
1: Right. (laughs) Like,
0: (laughs) talk about a mindset shift, right? Right. So that's pretty incredible.
1: Yeah. And, you know, what's also interesting about the mindset shift is, you know, I see advertisements come up come up on my phone or in my, you know, newsfeed and some of these, you know, clickbait articles saying, you know, oh, you can earn $5,000 a month with this passive income strategy. And, you know, I, am not going to get into my numbers, but I'll tell you right now that I would never click on one of those because $5,000 a month is not even close to mm-hmm. giving 10 minutes of time Yeah, right now because of what I'm doing with the options. So let me share my months
0: real quick. Um, Okay. So May, 12.79%. June, 9.76%. July, 16.5%.
1: Oh, you did much
0: better than me in July. (laughs) uh, August, 25%. And September, 8.91%. And so far in October, 4.17%.
1: Right. So in October so far, I've gotten
0: Um, and October's been a pretty awful month
1: yeah <laughs> October so and that's the other thing that's interesting you know when I first was looking at this, I was looking at my returns compared to the stock market itself mm-hmm. and the traditional investment strategy of just you know buy the stock and realize the gains and the growth in the stock and everything, and comparing it to my retirement account too, which is basically what the retirement account does is it you buy a stock or you know some collection of stocks and you just hang on to them and hope that they grow over time which if you're planning on retiring in 20 or 30 years then yes chances are that's exactly what's going to happen so mm-hmm. not a bad strategy but you know this is this is in you know one of the worst historical years the stock market has, has been mm-hmm. in august had a bit of a turnaround Mm -hmm. And we saw what happened in August. You had 25%. I had 36%, you know. And so it shows you that if we can, in terrible stock market months, Mm -hmm. be earning returns in the teens, and then when the stock market's doing well, it only gets better. Yeah, exactly.
0: And and the other thing about that is that our – Other portfolios, or my portfolio for my retirement, Mm -hmm. um, lost like 38%. Oh, man. Over the same six months. And so, like, I hadn't moved it out of that into something else yet. And there was all that money that just poof disappeared. And the other thing is, like, our value overall has gone down, but we're still making money on that, on what we have invested. Mm -hmm. When it's in my retirement account, invested in a bunch of mutual funds, I'm not making money on any of those things. I only make the money when I sell it. And so the valuation is just a made up number that in 2021 got really high and then just totally crashed. I can't access that money anyway because it's in my retirement. So it doesn't really mean anything that it goes up or down. Yeah. But still to look at it and think, I'm trying to build a nest egg and like it just got cut
1: almost in half, that that's a sickening feeling. Right. Well, and even more sickening if you're at retirement age and you think that your nest egg is one point five million dollars and now all of a sudden it's seven hundred fifty thousand. Yeah. And you know you need one point four to retire. So there are people right now who are depending on that old traditional strategy that are thinking that they're going to retire and all of a sudden they're saying, well, now I have to work another five to 10 years mm-hmm. because I was depending on this money that is just the bottoms come out almost. Yeah, so that speaks to the
0: mindset also because this what we're doing is a different mindset as well in that the idea is not to save for retirement. The idea is to save money, create passive income, so that we can live off of it right now right. and into the future so that retirement becomes an age that we pass not a lifestyle change right let's talk about that aspect of the mindset because that is very different than go to work and work there for 30 40 years and then retire talk
1: about that a little bit so yeah when i when i first learned about this i ran some numbers i'm a i'm a data nerd And so when I first learned, you are a nerd. (laughs) 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 And when I first learned about this, the first thing I did is I put it into a spreadsheet and calculated what the potentials were. And I was, I was doing calculations on just 1% a week
0: Mm -hmm. and I was blown away. And you said to me and our other brother, Gideon, uh, I don't think I did this right. Or. Is this yeah. really real? <laughs> like is this how math works? Yeah, <laughs> because it seemed so crazy. It,
1: yeah, it did. And so yeah, so when I so when I went down this road, I thought, okay, this is this is not just something that I'm gonna do for fun or something that I'm gonna build to retirement. This is something that I can build toward you know replacing my job. Mm-hmm. and that's what I'm building toward. you can you can get there really fast.
0: Right. I mean, when you're making between six and thirty-six percent in right. a month, um, that that does add up very quickly.
1: And you know the the interesting thing too is, notice that there were no negative numbers in any mm-hmm. of those months. Yeah. Some months we made a little bit less. Some months we made a little bit more. But there was always a positive mm-hmm. to it. And that's the thing that really gets me on this strategy is if you do it the right way. You don't lose money. Mm-hmm. You just don't. So what does that mean
0: the right way? Because this also ties into the mindset.
1: Yeah. So <clears throat> so first of all, the mindset is you want to hang on to the stock. Mm-hmm. And so when you sell an option, you are basically saying, you know, I, I think that the stock price, well, let's, let's just give it an actual example. So let's say that I'm selling a covered call for a stock
0: let's let's say nike which is the example i use in the video okay that was at like 8250
1: okay so i currently own for this example <laughs> hypothetically right <laughs> for this example i currently own nike and the price is 8250 mhm and why do you own nike i own nike because i love shoes everybody needs shoes everybody's got to wear shoes. And Nike is a company that has proven to, you know, show growth and make high quality shoes. Mm-hmm. So I own it because I believe in that stock. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, if I am holding Nike stock, I'm going to be happy. That's really what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can get into a lot of the other things, which, which I do on my, on my own, when I'm deciding which stock to, to purchase, like. You know, what does the company look like? How are they structured? And what are their financials look like? And, you know, those things. But those criteria are very, very individual. Mm-hmm. And there's also that, that um, intangible that comes with the companies. And that is, you know, <laughs> the intangibles are, you know, what do you believe in? You know, there are some, I, I know people who have literally 300 pairs of Nike shoes, Mm -hmm. Um, and 290 of them they have never worn. Yeah, yeah. As long as those type of people exist, Nike stock is gonna be a good stock Mm -hmm. to hold. Uh, Do you, you know, you think about other shoe companies, I mean, as we're talking about this, your audience of people who are listening, you probably can think of somebody that has a lot of pairs of Nike shoes that they have never touched. Mm Or
0: find them. And if we're talking to educators, they're kids in your school and you know exactly who they are. Right? <laughs> right. I mean that's the reality here.
1: Yeah. So you know, there so there's those things that go into it. The intangibles plus the, the financial things, you know, if if uh, Nike had a track record of losing money every quarter for the last ten years, I might think differently about that company, but they're not.
0: And they probably I mean, Amazon's a very good example of that. Mm -hmm. They lost money for years before they started making money, right? right? And so that doesn't necessarily mean that they lost money, that they weren't still a good company that would be wise to invest in. Right. And that's where, as you said, it's, it's very unique for every different company that's out there. And you just have to be aware of that.
1: Well, so I'll give you a good example. So Amazon is one of them. I knew about Amazon when they first came out. And I knew that company was going to do well, but I was not in the stock market in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And had I been, I would have stuck with Amazon and I, I'm not just saying that because hindsight is 2020. you know, I, I knew it about is, Amazon. Yeah. So another example is Tesla. Mm-hmm. I don't own any Tesla stock because again, it's, I'm priced out of it yeah. right now because I'm not investing that much money yet, but. I believed in Tesla from the first day I heard about them. And you can remember us having conversations. And I remember you asking me one time, well, if you love this company so much, why don't you own a Tesla? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And at the time, it was, you know, the same reason. It was the cars were too expensive. But as soon as I got to a position where I could purchase one, I did. And I have never gone back. And I purchased that car when Tesla was still losing money. Mm -hmm. but I bought a car knowing that I would have the car for a long time and knowing that I would need to depend on that company to support it. But I believed in what they were doing so much that the fact that they were losing money at the time did not bother me at all.
0: Yeah. So let's just highlight something real quick about Amazon. Uh, On my phone, I'm showing you my very first purchase from Amazon.
1: (laughs) What date was that, George? May 31st, 2000.
0: Yeah, May 31st, 2000. That was the first time I bought anything from Amazon. And it was a book called The Green Mile, in case anybody's listening. Great book. Yeah, um, great book. But uh, that was my first interaction. And I remember thinking, this is so cool yeah. that I can just buy this book and it'll be shipped to my house. And that was back when Amazon was still just doing their um, uh, just books. That was
1: where yeah. they started. So I think I might have a different Amazon account than when I first... Um when I first bought something from them, but I'm curious. I never looked up what my oldest well purchase it's, was. It's really easy, do you want me to show oh, you? Yeah, it, show dude. me.
0: So you just go here to um over here, you go to orders, and then it's got the filter, filter orders, two thousand five. Okay. I I'm not gonna look because I don't wanna know what you were <laughs> buying in two thousand and five. <laughs>
1: It's not embarrassing at all. <laughs> so uh, a bike hoist storage system and Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. That sounds about right. It says two. I bought two of them.
0: I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah. I don't
1: know. So yeah, I think I had, because 2005 was when I got my Gmail account mm-hmm. and this Amazon account is under Gmail and I'm pretty sure I had a, an Amazon account under my Hotmail mm. and I started a new one.
0: Yeah. Uh, somehow I switched my
1: email address because
0: I didn't get a Gmail account to 2004, oh. and but my orders go all the way back to 2000.
1: Hmm. Well, anyway, interesting. That's a little sidetracked. Interesting but, diversion. Right. Not Doesn't need to be part of the episode, but <laughs> maybe it will be. Who knows? I mean, I think the part of just looking at your oldest Amazon order is interesting, so yeah. maybe keep that in so yeah. people can look it up and-
0: yeah, so I'll give better directions on how to get that. In the app, if you do the hamburger in the bottom right, and then you tap on Orders, and then you tap on Filters, um, and then you go all the way to the bottom, it'll let you filter by year.
1: Nice. I like that. Yeah, that's something new. I there really we say. go. All right, so. What were we talking about? We were talking about owning Nike stock.
0: Oh, yeah. So you own Nike stock because you believe in the company. right? And it's an eighty two fifty and uh also you have to own 100 shares so you've spent at least eight thousand two hundred fifty on that most likely to get there
1: yeah so all right so i think over the next week the stock price is not going to go up to 85 dollars i think it's not going to hit that so remember we talked about there's five five different things that a stock can do and so um For our discussion right now, going from 82.50 to 85, that's going up a lot. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we're going to say that that is going up a lot. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, I'm going to sell a covered call. So, I already own 100 shares of Nike and I'm going to sell a covered call, which means I own the stock. That's the covered part. And the call is if it gets to a certain price point, I'm going to sell it to whoever bought the call. So, I'm gonna sell that covered call. And let's say that the premium, well, let's see if we can get some actual numbers.
0: Which will be hard at this time of night, but- we'll It's
1: we'll try it. <laughs>
0: this time of night on a Saturday night, these will not be accurate numbers.
1: Well, they'll, they'll work close enough for the example. Okay, well, the stock is at 87.55 right now. Well, so let's actually do the example Let's start the example there because that will give us better better uh real world. Times. Now um at the beginning of this
0: month it was at 8250. Yeah. Because that's when I took screenshots and <laughs> made
1: this video. So that's interesting. Oh, you must have taken it at the low part. Hey, this is Jethro.
0: I'm gonna jump in right here real quick and say George and I recorded this in October, as you probably Surmised by listening, and Nike stock is now at one twenty seven sixty one as of the date of this episode publishing. So it has gone up thirty three dollars or thirty five point one one percent during that time. So just think about that if you were holding on to this thing during that time
1: and selling calls and make money along the way. Pretty interesting thought process there. So anyway, all right. So let's just say that it's at eighty seven fifty right now. Okay, so I bought 100 shares at 87.50. I own the stock. And I think that it is not going to go up to $90. And it might go up a little bit, but I don't think it's going to hit 90. So I sell a covered call at 90. And right now the premiums for the $90 price is we'll just say $1.55, okay? It's between $1.53 and $1.59, but we'll say $1.55. So that means that for each of the 100 shares that I own, someone will pay me $1.55 per share for the option to buy the stock if it goes above 90. So why would they do that? Well, if it goes up to 95, they'll be able to buy it at 90. They have that instant equity in there. So it makes sense for them to do that. What if it doesn't go up to 90? Well, if it doesn't go up to 90, they can buy it on the open market for cheaper than 90 so why would they pay 90 mm-hmm. for the stock they wouldn't yeah because it doesn't make financial sense <clears throat> what if the stock goes down just a little bit from where it is right now well same situation it doesn't make financial sense for them to buy the stock at 90 they have the option to they don't have to but they have the option to and if it goes down a lot again it doesn't make sense for them to mm-hmm. do it so basically i'm banking on the fact that it is only going to do Well, that the stock is going to do four of the five, excuse me, five possible things that it can do. And they're buying the option betting that it will do one of those things. Mm. So who has better odds right there? Yeah,
0: obviously you do.
1: I do. So here's an interesting point
0: because other people are going to have different perspectives and different ideas of what the stock is going to do. Mm. And so one, none of us can predict the future unless we're doing insider trading, which is illegal, right. which we are not doing, just to be clear. <laughs> so we're just making the best guess we can based on the information that we have. So there are a lot of different ways that you can do analysis to see where the stock's going, and there's a whole bunch of stuff out there on the internet that you can go find. You know, Technical analysis of stock is what it's called, and you can go try to figure out, and you can use that to help you make more informed right. decisions. How, how much is that required and how much of this is a gut feeling and how much of this
1: is something else? So that's a great question. And it's a great question, especially for me. <laughs> <laughs> so there is, well, I mean, what is your audience like? Are they going to be receptive to the way that I make my decisions or are they not going to be receptive to that?
0: Well, I, I think it, if you are comfortable sharing it, then you should share it because that, I, I think people will be receptive. Some people will say that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. Okay. I don't care. Like, I'm th- comfortable with it. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important for you to share how you make decisions because everybody has to make a decision somehow. And so, you sharing what you do is honestly just as valid as any other decision making process. And, because you believe that it is right, which is what makes any decision-making process valid, yeah. right? <laughs> <So>.
1: That's right. <laughs> well, I mean, it doesn't happen in a vacuum either. Yeah. So, so what I do, you know, I I research the company. And so we're going with this Nike example. So one one of the first things that I do is I look at the trends. I look at the actual trend of the stock, mm-hmm. and I look at not just the last day or week. You know, I'll look at at the whole trend and I do this basically every week. It doesn't take much time once you get familiar with how to do it.
0: Yeah, once you know what you're looking for, right. then it gets pretty
1: easy. So the first thing I'll do is I'll look at the I'll look at the daily trend and see what has been happening over the last day. And in the case of Nike, it's gone down two dollars in the last day. Not very not very promising for that. Then I'll look at the month trend. And when I look at the month trend for Nike, there was a big drop um, around the beginning of October, but then since then it's barely peaked above 90. It hasn't gotten above 90 except for once. So that makes me really comfortable with 90 as a price point. Over the last two weeks, basically, it has been well below 90. And then I look at the year to date and I say, okay, what has it done over the last year? Over the last year, or sorry, not the last year, year to date. So, and that's just because of the application that I'm using that shows me that information quite easily Mm -hmm. and so basically since the beginning of the year it has gone down it's almost gone in half in value like a lot of the stock market actually (laughs) so nike is not unique and so i look at that and i say okay well it's definitely on a downward trend so the chances of it going up in the next week are are probably fairly low and then i have a whole year trend which right now, since we're in the middle of October, doesn't look much different than the year to date. In March it looks a lot different. And then there's also a five year trend. And, you know, I give more weight to the more recent ones, but I also like to see what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. So I don't look at the five year trend every week because it doesn't change much <laughs> week to week. <laughs> you can kinda you can
0: kind of extrapolate from yeah, you the, the daily, weekly, and monthly.
1: So um, so if we look at the monthly, that's probably the most valid one and I can see that over the past couple of weeks, it really hasn't gone, gone above 90. So I'm pretty comfortable setting the price at 90 cause I just don't think it's going to mm-hmm. go there. Um, <clears throat> now when we're selling, when I'm selling the calls, I do these weekly and I mentioned before that I'd get into why I, I do it weekly. The reason I do it weekly is because it's hard enough to predict what happens on a week to week basis. And so when we sell an option weekly, I'm basically saying by Friday, if the stock hits this price, you know, you'll be able to exercise your option. So I'm doing that every week. Now, if I, if I wanted to predict where Nike was going to be in a month, to me, that is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like what? I mean, as borderline crazy predicting where it's going to be in a week, but in a month. You know, so many things can happen, and you know, it just feels a lot safer to me to just do this once a week because I have, I feel like a better chance at um, predicting what the stock is going to do on a week to week basis than I do month. Some people do options for like a year out and and stuff like that too, and to me, that's just that's just a little too hard to to do. So, for example, if we were
0: doing Nike and we were doing a cash-secured put, and so we were selling that um, for a month out, in the last month from today, Nike has gone down from $107 Mm -hmm. to $87. So it's gone down $20 and change in the last month. And judging from the three-month chart, the one-year chart – I think it'd be pretty tough to predict that it was going to go down by that much. Yeah. Although a year ago it was at 157, so it was $70 more than it is now. Yeah. I like what I like about your reasoning there is that it's so difficult to predict long term and we as human beings are are very bad at this and yeah. so it's very <laughs> difficult to predict what's going to happen long term. It's like you said, much safer to say, I think it's only going to change by this much.
1: Yeah. And that's another podcast where we can talk about the ridiculousness of earnings forecasts and how they affect oh, yes. stock prices. I but- know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which is something I never paid any attention to in my entire life until we started yeah. doing this. And then I was like, what? Yeah. Okay. It can be... Yeah. They can be interesting. We'll put that on the show list.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So that's one criteria that I use. So I basically try to make the best informed decision that I can. And I pay attention to other things too. I pay attention to the earnings, like I mentioned, when they come out, when they're going to come out. Um, I tend to avoid selling any options when the earnings are released, the week that the earnings are released, because crazy things can happen. Mm Mm-hmm. So um, when, when I was talking about how um, Nike dropped you know, a significant amount a couple of weeks ago, that's when the earnings were released and it just, just lost a ton of value. I think it was about 15% in one day because of the earnings. And so if you, if you own the stock, then that's, that's fine. You still own the stock at the end of the day. And if you are selling options at that time, Then, you know, in this particular case, if I already owned the stock and I sold a covered call, I would have been fine because Mm -hmm. the stock price was going down. But if the opposite happened where the stock price jumped 15% in one day and I sold a covered call, then that call is going to be exercised. I would have to sell that stock, but probably at a much lower price than the current price. Mm -hmm. And I would have missed out on all that underlying growth as if I just didn't sell an option that week and I just held on to the stock, I could benefit from that growth, which happened to me a couple times over the last couple months and I benefited greatly from that. And I want to talk about that benefit. And it's not in the way that a lot of people probably think. so we'll talk about that next. Um, so I pay attention to, you know as much about the stock as I can. and I pay attention to the news that comes out about the stock or the company, And I pay attention Mm. to all those things. So if it was Nike and they just announced that they, you know, signed a new star basketball player to a, uh, you know, shoe deal, that would probably affect the stock price. Mm. So I I would pay attention to those things. Um, When I got started in this, I had made a, a decision in my life to change the focus of my life away from, I guess, more of a. A selfish attitude. Not that I was considering myself a selfish person, but I was focused. But others on, were. Well, I, <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> Depends on who you ask for sure.
0: But I, I knew whatever you said, that there would be an opportunity for me yes. to say something there. I could see you waiting for it. <laughs> I was ready to pounce. I might have
1: a couple more. So oh, that's fine. <laughs> so... But, you know, it was just, it was very inward focused and I was, you know, focused on trying to, you know, trying to do things that were just focused on me and, you know, my job and my finances and so on and so forth. And which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but that's just how it was for me. And so I made a shift in my mindset and my focus entirely. I said, you know, I'm going to just try to devote more time, like a lot more time to service in my church and service toward God. And, and so I'm going to start making
0: 16 to
1: 36% <laughs> per month in my investments. So, <laughs> so interesting how that came about. So, um, uh, I recently moved and over the last couple of years, I've been focusing a lot more on my religion and focusing on my spirituality and focusing on drawing closer to God. And so I moved my family, my wife and I moved our family to a different state and we felt that God directed us to do that and we still do. Uh, We don't feel that we were crazy. We feel that was the right decision and it's worked out pretty well for us. Um, We also felt he directed us to buy a specific house. And that's important because when we moved, we were planning on downsizing. We were planning on going to a house that was about half the size of what we had. And cutting our house payment and you know, we were hoping we could buy the whole thing in cash mm-hmm. is what we really wanted.
0: Which is what all the Californians do right. when they move to these other states
1: that Right. Yeah. We went from California to Nevada. And so when we you know, when we were looking for a house, we really felt the Lord directed us to buy this house that was the opposite of what we were planning. And and I mean like complete opposite. <laughs> Yes. It what it, It's literally four times bigger than the house that we moved from. And I don't say that to brag, but I say it because it's important for this discovery, this journey. And so I, you know, we did that, but I was a little frustrated because I felt like the Lord was directing me to do something that just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I believe in self-reliance and, you know, getting out of debt and, and those types of things. And this move was the exact opposite. I mean, it just, It was literally 10 steps backwards financially not that we couldn't afford it we were fortunate enough that we're able to afford it but that's not the point the point is that you know we were we were almost completely out of debt when we moved from california um and we got into a whole lot more debt a whole lot more we went from having a lot of extra income each month to help us get out of debt to Back to having almost no extra income. And I wouldn't say that we're living paycheck to paycheck, because we're not quite there, but we you know, we don't have the kind of extra income that we we thought we were going to have. Mm-hmm.
0: You didn't have what you thought you were moving to get. Right. Right? I wanna highlight that aspect because especially as you talk about being led by God, that sometimes those things don't make sense right what he tells us to do doesn't make sense
1: right so i you know did a a lot of self-discovery and a lot of praying and asking the lord and and the answer i got was basically you were too comfortable where you were i needed to make you uncomfortable so that you could focus more on getting out of this position so you could devote more time to service and you know If you have to rewind and listen to that again, go for it. Because (laughs) I know it sounds very strange. Um, and it did sound strange for me, but I said, okay, well, if that's what you're asking me to do, then that's what I'll do. Yeah. And here's why that
0: doesn't actually sound strange because we learn through trials and struggles. Yeah. We learn when we are uncomfortable, um, we spend a lot of time in education trying to scaffold and set kids up to be successful. And what we actually do is we take away their ability to learn by doing that. And this isn't an education podcast. Go listen to Transformative Principle, <laughs> one of my any, many other podcasts. But to it learn is about an that. education
1: <laughs> podcast. <laughs> it is,
0: actually, you're right. Everything is educational. That's right. Because everything is spiritual, also. So, yeah. because of that, we, we try to make things comfortable but comfort is not the ideal learning situation despite what we may think right
1: yeah and i and even though i was comfortable in california i was still making progress mm-hmm. you know i was getting i was getting out of debt i was paying things off i was ready to pay my house my house off in 5 years you know mm-hmm. and um and it was very doable i was I was going to be able to do that. I was on track to do that. So it's not like I wasn't making progress either, but I was spending a lot of time in activities that were not dedicated to service to God. And I wouldn't say they were bad activities because I, I don't think they were. I think they were great activities. But other people would say they're bad. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Some people would say they're <laughs> awful, especially, yeah. I, I coached a mountain bike team and there were a couple kids who just did not... Like yeah. me as the coach, how and, dare uh, you! I know. And one of the some of the parents who didn't like me as yeah. the coach, either. some of the other coaches who didn't like me as the <laughs> <Yeah>, coach. <laughs> I'm painting myself real rosy here, aren't <laughs> I? Um, I'm helping,
0: but, but
1: you know, but I think that they were great activities, and I really miss those activities. I think I did, I think I did a lot of good. I think I really helped impact some people in some positive ways. But um, it obviously wasn't what the Lord wanted me to do.
0: Well, and here's what's so fascinating about that. Being a coach, helping kids be physically fit and do something that is challenging and going to help them grow yeah. is a good thing, right? Yeah. And and this is the the real challenge that we have because not everything that we do is the best thing to do. And but we do it because it's one what we're used to and two what is comfortable. Right. And it, it does take sometimes a
1: push to get uncomfortable. Yeah. And it and the move was a big push. And it, it made me very uncomfortable because my house payment, um, it, it doubled. So, uh, I mean, we were able to take advantage of some favorable real estate prices and that our house size grew more than double, but our payment only doubled but it's still doubled. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were other expenses that went up a lot too. Our utilities went up 10 times. Wow. And, um, you know, so there are other things too. It definitely put me into an uncomfortable position. So, you know, I got the inspiration from the Lord. Okay, I did this to help you grow. So I said, okay, great. So
0: I, okay, so you doubled your house payment 10 mm-hmm. times to your utilities. Yep. and you still were not living paycheck to paycheck, this sounds like a big sob story. <laughs> <laughs> you poor thing.
1: I know. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, um, <laughs> it does sound like that. Talk about first world problems, right? Yeah. Well, I I definitely recognize that we've been very blessed, and I'm very grateful for that, and that's – Part of the reason why I felt like I need to devote more of my mm-hmm. time to service. I've been so blessed. I need to pay this back in any way that I can. I can't pay it back fully, but... But
0: you not pay it back in any way that you can. Specifically pay it back in the way the Lord wants you to. Okay.
1: Right? Yeah. yeah. Because... In any capacity. There we
0: go. How about yeah, that? yeah. Any capacity that he directs you to do. Right. Because that was part of it also is trying to listen to what he was directing you to do and not just do whatever felt good or whatever was convenient, right? That was, that was the issues you were comfortable. You needed to get uncomfortable and serve in ways that were not comfortable to you, right? Right. And do things that were not comfortable to you so that you could learn and grow and hear how he was directing you in your life better.
1: Absolutely. And so I made that, that mental shift. And there were actually a lot of things that I saw happen immediately from doing that. And they're not all applicable to this podcast, but it was very obvious to me that that mental shift was what the Lord wanted me to do. And he was showing that to me. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so actually I had my own ideas, you know, when the Lord said, I'm going to get you financially free so that you could basically devote your entire life to serving. And so I said, okay, great. And I, I had my ideas of how that would go and it went a very different direction. <laughs> <laughs> As it usually does. Yeah. So one of the things I started doing is I just was being more open with my family. First of all, about, about some of that stuff. And you actually sent me a book, a book, Called Infinity Investing, and I read that book and I thought, "Oh, okay, this is this is great." And it talked about different ways of getting passive income, and one of the ways was selling covered calls, and but another one of the ways was investing in real estate, and that's what I am very interested in. And you're like, I just bought this
0: huge house, right? <laughs> I, I'm I'm already on the on the way. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> well, I knew that wasn't wasn't the way for earning money from real estate. Yeah, that's for sure. But so I thought, okay, well I'll read this book that my brother sent and it talks about real estate. That's the way I want to go. So I'm going to start looking more into real estate. And it just, the options just kept coming into my mind. It kept bugging me. And I tried to pay attention to all of those things. You know, I firmly believe that the voices that come into our head, we have three different voices. We Mm. have voices from, well, let's say negative voices. We have our own voice, and then we have the voice from the Lord or the Holy Ghost. And I've been focusing a lot on listening to those voices and differentiating between them. And the fact that the options kept coming into my head, I knew that that was coming from the Lord. And so I said, all right, well, I'll look into this and and start, start doing that. And so I did. Okay, pause just a second. You knew that
0: it was coming from the Lord. That is a whole another podcast. Also,
1: yeah, about.
0: I'd love to, I'd love to do that podcast. Yeah. That would be great because that is something that's really important. Is how do you know what is your own thoughts, what are negative thoughts, and what are thoughts from God? And yeah. and being able to differentiate between those is really important as well. It is so you know maybe some other time we can record that one. I think certainly for our families we should record that episode yeah. at some point
1: and well but that point is crucial to my Absolutely. success because yeah. i had to know what were the voices from the lord what were my own voice and what were the negative voices from other negative influences and um without that information i wouldn't have been able to to be successful so anyway so that's just a longer backstory of to why i make my decisions the way that I do. So I get as informed uh, about the stock and about the prices and about what's going, what I think is going to happen. And then I take it to the Lord and I ask him. And I say, this is what I'm planning on doing. Is that the right strategy? So go back to the Nike example, I would say, I'm planning on selling a covered call at $90 for Nike. Is that the right thing to do? And then I listen and If I get nothing, I go forward with it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: If I get a no or a a different number in my head, I go with that. Sometimes, you know, going on this example, I would say, I would pray about that and then the number 92 would pop into my head. So I would sell it at 92. And even if I make less money Mm -hmm. that week, I still do that. Mm -hmm. And if the number, 85 comes into my head I sell it at 85 and even if the current price is 87, I still do whatever number pops into my head if a number does and that strategy has worked very well yeah for me. so so let's talk about August okay tell us about that so the stocks that I had invested in in August the earnings were coming out, And there was a lot of positive buzz around the stocks. And um, so the stock price went up. I I had the stock. I owned it already. And um, the stock price was going up a lot. And I was making the decision, like, what do you, you know, what should I sell the the covered call at? It wasn't earnings week yet, but it was the week before Mm -hmm. earnings week. And um when you when you're talking about premiums for for stocks they vary based on the price of the stock if the price of the stock goes up the premium goes up also If the price of the stock goes down the premium goes down but generally the premiums are the same percentage of the stock price so earlier on i mentioned you know have as you benefit from that underlying stock price, you also benefit in other ways. And the other way is that as the stock price goes up, the premiums go up as well. It's still around the same percentage of the stock price, but the stock price is higher. So the the percentage is the same, but the dollar amount is higher. And so at that time, there was just a lot of positive buzz. The stock price went up a lot. And you know, the, the direction I got from the Lord was to set a certain strike price so that I wouldn't lose the stock. Which was really high. Yes. <laughs> it was
0: really high. And that, that it, accounted for. It was like ridiculously high. Right. And, and I remember as we were talking about that, that you were, you were selling it at such a high price. I was like, that's just crazy. Um, but oh, yeah, but you knew that that was the right thing to do. And so so in a similar vein, around that same time, I had made a decision. And instead of listening to God's voice, I listened to a negative voice, which happened to be you, by the way. What? <laughs> and,
1: and made a decision. And I think we need to look back at the record. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and made a decision based on something that you had said, where I had already made the decision and thought it was the right thing and then got dissuaded by some other influence. And I'm not saying that you were Satan in that example, to be clear. <laughs> Feels like that's <laughs> what you were saying. <laughs> oh, that's weird. I wonder why that came across that way. But the thing he you're not saying it, just strongly
1: inferring. <laughs> That's right.
0: There's a difference. So the reason why I share that though is because you, if you are making these decisions because you believe that God is giving you inspiration, then you need to follow that inspiration, right? right? And and the challenge for me was that I had made a decision and then got scared or got confused or got dissuaded or whatever rather than sticking with what I believed was going to happen mm-hmm. and following through on that. And and the and the reason I bring that up specifically is that I learned a lesson then that I need to be more intentional about the choices that I was making. That I yes. if I'm not being intentional, then I'm just gambling. Right. And that's not what i'm trying to do. i'm trying to be intentional and set myself up for success and and find that success.
1: yeah, and i'm just a man. i'm not a hero. So, <laughs> <laughs> kudos if you get that reference. <laughs> very good.
0: very good. so so choosing stocks, you do a bunch of homework and then you take it to the lord. yep. And um, if you're listening and you don't like that, then just do the analysis. Yeah. That's fine. And yeah, and
1: I, I do analysis too, and I try to make the best informed decision. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, what I decide lines up with what the Lord tells me to do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't. And I will, I'll tell you this, sometimes it has not worked out well for me. And that is a fun Exercise to go through (laughs) when (laughs) you say, I'm doing what the Lord told me to do and it's not working out well. Mm -hmm. What do I do now? Yeah. And I, you know, I chose to stick with it, chose Mm -hmm. to keep doing what the Lord told me to do. And looking back on those experiences, I know why He told me to do that. I know why He told me to execute a trade that was going to lose money or that was not going to work out well. So, and and you know to be transparent, I have I've experimented with a lot of different types of options, mm-hmm. not just covered calls. I am only doing covered calls and cash secure puts now because I think that's the best play. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best financial decision, and I feel like that's what the Lord wants me to do. Also, mm-hmm. and I have um, de diversified for the same reasons because I think that's what the Lord. Wants me to do. Mm -hmm. And I feel good about it.
0: Yeah. And I think one thing that's important is that everybody needs to take their own path. And so what you're doing or what I'm doing is not the quote unquote right choice. It's the right choice for me right now. It's the right choice for you right now. And a big part of me starting this podcast is feeling like this is something that I that I have the skills, the ability, and the opportunity to do. And I have not felt so strongly about doing any of the other podcasts that I've done besides Transformative Principle, which I can 100% trace that as the source of what got me all these jobs Mm -hmm. and got me to where I am today. And what I really mean by that is that I believe that God said you need to start this podcast. And I'm feeling the exact same way about my bonus money as I did about transformative principle and how transformative principle has helped me is unbelievable. I can't even describe it well enough to say what it really is. And yeah. it would take hours, but that's where you, you have to decide what matters for you, what's important and then decide what voice you're going to listen to as you're coming to
1: that conclusion. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, to get, to get people thinking, you know, if, if you aren't religious, then you probably tuned out a long time ago. That's right. But <laughs> if you didn't, good for you. But if you are religious, you know, the, the cognitive dissonance that comes with trying to get out of Babylon and the Lord leading you right back in is very hard to overcome. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to really be comfortable with it. And I think that it goes back to, you know, the, the Lord blesses those people who listen to him Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to come off as sanctimonious and it's, it's really hard, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It's
0: always been hard for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just like, I get to take all these shots at you. I I mean, I'm enjoying it. (laughs) I'm glad you are. (laughs) So, you know you try to do what's right and the Lord blesses you for it. And I, I strongly believe that. And I've Mm -hmm. seen that throughout my entire life. And it just feels like the more that I focus on that, the more the benefits come. And, you know, the goal is to be able to, like I mentioned at the beginning, to be able to devote my life to service and not have to worry about paying the bills or you know, having to report to my job or whatever because I feel like the the best way to serve is to be able to do that full time. And if you have a full time job, you you can't.
0: Yeah. Um and I, I think that is a great place to end. I think that is we started talking about how to make passive income and end up talking about how to serve God. And as you said, if you're a believer and regardless of what it is that you believe, but you believe in some sort of higher power, then hopefully this has helped some people. Yeah. And if you don't, then, you know, you probably already turned it off. But thanks for sticking with but us there, if you did.
1: <laughs> there was good stuff in there before that. <laughs>
0: there sure so, was. Yeah. Okay. Um so final final thoughts. Anything else that you wanna say that we didn't get to that you think people need to hear?
1: Well, I think a couple things, you know, you do what you believe in and all these decisions that you're making about investing in everything, you know, when it comes to options, especially you just have to be happy with it at the time you make the, the trade because you know, there there's, there's two ways the trade can go. It can go in your favor or not in your favor. You got to be happy with either choice. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And if you're not happy with either choice, don't do it Mm -hmm. because I've gone through those examples too, and you know, yeah, there's potential to make more money doing other things. There's potential to lose money too, and the stress that came along with that for me was just not not worth it. Yeah, for and sure. And when I have focused on the the transactions where I would be happy with either outcome, that's been the best mm-hmm. because you don't have the stress that goes along with it. Yeah, and. I think that's an important thing yeah exactly and you can
0: feel you can feel good about your um, your choices when you're happy with either one yeah and like that relieves so much stress and makes you so much more comfortable with whatever happens because you're not invested in the outcome because you were invested in the decision right
1: yeah and then you end up spending less time on it
0: too yeah that's the title for this episode By the way, we just got it. Uh, (laughs) Invest in the decision, not
1: in the outcome. There you go. I mean, I think that's a pretty good title, don't you? I do. Well, this has been the My Bonus Money podcast, coming to you from Salt Lake City.
0: (laughs) Thanks for joining me on this episode of My Bonus Money. To get started doing this yourself, head over to mybonusmoney.com and download the guide How to Start Earning Passive Income with as Little as $200. That's at MyBonusMoney.com. And if you've already done that, please share this episode with somebody who may benefit from it. This show is most effective when it is shared, so please share it. And if you have shared it, please leave a rating. Just a reminder that I am not offering financial advice. I am just sharing my story in this podcast. Please do research and consult with financial professionals,